The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org. show about the Catholic perspective on the arts. We'll be covering a wide range of topics throughout the season, and today we will be discussing fiction. Um, The Beautiful Things is a production of Restoration Radio and underwritten by True Restoration Media. Streaming videos for purchase or download are available on truerestorationmedia.com. As with all our shows, we will not be taking callers, unfortunately. However, if you have a comment or a question, we always appreciate our audience. You can reach us via Twitter. Our handle is at True Restoration. I'm your host, Magdalene Zapp, and tonight I'm joined by Peter Mongeau, the founder and publisher of Tuscany Press, a new Catholic press which hosts a yearly writing competition in the categories of novel, young adult novel, novella, and short story. Deadline is June 30th. Mr. Mongeau, welcome, and thank you for joining us this evening. Well, thank you for having me. I'm uh, looking forward to this. It should be a fun evening. Uh, how, how recently did you did you start up Tuscany Press? Sure. Um, well, Tuscany Press is new. It started June of last year, so we're almost a one year old. It was um, a brainchild that we uh, they had because I was involved in a parish reading group for many years, and we couldn't find, shall we say, contemporary Catholic fiction. The last great contemporary, or I would say, the last great fiction writers were basically up until almost 1980. We had Walker Percy, and so we were looking around for some Catholic fiction. And you know, we'd have to go see Walker Percy or Flannery O'Connor, or you know, writers of that of that generation. And then we'd have to even go further back to Chesterton in the early part mm-hmm. of the century. So I had an um, an idea that we should. There has to be Catholic fiction writers out there, and there has to be a Catholic fiction press. So we were just asking around and trying to find uh, a Catholic fiction press, and there was no Catholic fiction press that we could find, or or, or I would say a press that was dedicated to Catholic fiction. There was a few little bit, you know, there was some Catholic fiction out there, but not a lot. Uh, so that's where the idea of Tuscany Press came from. And it seems like uh, from our, our pre-show conversation, you have a lot coming out this um, this this coming year. Can we get a little sneak peek, a little something or other about what's going to be coming out? Sure. So we we started June first. We we had the first. We have some called the Tuscany Prize for Catholic Fiction, and the first uh, entry deadline was uh, last September thirtieth. And we have issued uh, several books already. Uh, one is our collection of short stories. We're one of the few presses that does short stories. And in fact, we do Catholic fiction short stories, which is just a 
You know, I forgot how, how much fun short stories were until we started reading these manuscripts that came in. And so we have a book called the 2012 uh, Tuscany Prize uh, for Catholic Fiction Selected Short Stories. It's a collection that has 10 short stories. Five of them, uh, we have one through five, and then we have five honorable mention. In fact, uh, we uh, will be uh, showcasing one of those stories coming up soon on uh, Dapple Things, the Catholic literary magazine. Oh, excellent. Um, yeah, they, uh, next issue they'll be carrying an interview with the editor, who is Joseph O'Brien. And uh, Joseph has had writings appear in Dapple Things before. And he is the editor of the collection. So uh, Dapple Things' next issue will have uh, the first uh, pr- uh, first place uh, winner, the first of the uh, short stories. It's called Eyes That Pour Forth. And uh, I'll tell you a little bit about some of the stories later on, maybe in the show. But uh, just give you kind of overall picture of what we're p- publishing this year. So we have um, a novella that's already out. It's called The Book of Jotham. It's a great read. I concur. I concur. Oh, I, you read it. Wanna, I read it. Yes, I read it. I, 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 did, I did really. I love the perspective of it. Yeah, to tell all the listeners out there, it's about a, um, uh, what I would say a mentally handicapped person who becomes a disciple of Christ. Now, the great story about this particular book is it was written about 23 years ago by the author, and he had put it in his drawer. And really, it, it was typewritten. So when he sent it into Tuscany Press, he had scanned it, and he PDF'd it and sent it in, and that's how we came to uh, come across the Book of Jotham. It was just—it's just a fantastic read. It's really a fantastic read, and it's a true novella uh, in the sense of what a novella is. Uh, and then we have a new book that just came out a few weeks ago called *A Hunger in the Heart*. It's really Southern Catholic fiction. It takes place in 1955 or so, in those years. Uh, in Florida, it is uh, the author is a um, trained like art uh, designer, and it's really what I would call a literary and artistic book. It's about a small town in Florida and this uh, family. Uh, the father comes back from World War II. He's he's brain uh, he's he has an injury. He has a brain injury from World War II. But there's his wife, his son, the mayor of the town, who's the uh, the uh, veterans uh, father the, and it's all about their relationships and really how everybody is uh, looking for something in life and uh, I don't want to give away too much but it is a it's a terrific read um, I think people would really this, like it this, this, this book is one of the ones that won the prize for last year correct? Uh, no no it, it hasn't the, the novel prize winner is not out yet it's called Wild oh, okay. Spirits okay and uh, so we have, I think we'll have a total of eight books coming out, um, hopefully all by the end of June. How many, so can I a, ask, how many, um, how many manuscripts, if you can just give me a rough guess, how many manuscripts do you think got sent in for just last year for the, the competition? Just last year is about close to 300. 300. So in theory, there's 300 Catholic writers out there trying to get published that have really no recourse other than maybe you and a handful of other presses? Uh, I, I would describe it as there, there's at least 300 writers out there. We've, we've And really, Tuscany Press is the only press dedicated to Catholic fiction. There's a few other uh, publishers do one or two or three, but by the time 
we come out with our eight books, we should probably be the largest Catholic fiction publisher, <laughs> believe it or not. Uh, right. Which is not a good commentary on, the, on it. But we plan on making a change and making it work for everybody. Well, You've you got to start somewhere. That's right. That's right. Christian fiction uh, started back in the 80s, so so we can start now. Yes, we can definitely start now, and uh, we have a long history of it. Uh, We can talk about that, a couple ideas there later on. But our novel winner is Wild Spirits, and it's from Nigeria. It's a writer from Nigeria, and it's about war in Africa. And it's about really about good, about people doing good things in the most horrible circumstances. And it's about Christian hope, I would have to say, and peace uh, that we, you know, that we so are so proud of within the, our Catholic tradition. And um, probably as you something know, too that probably something that we as Americans don't don't really get much insight to insight into. Excuse me. Um, being, you know, most of us have never, or many of us have never left the country. So the idea of of getting the, you know, real what it's like in Africa in those kinds of conditions would be would be interesting. Oh, it's it's a cinematic, uh it, it is just a beautiful book. The gentleman is a a poet. He uh, writes a lot of poetry, and this is his first novel. Um, he takes a bus from his village, forty five minutes into town, so we can go to an internet cafe, and then we can communicate with him. That's dedication. It's really, it's really an unbelievable story, and he said, "You know, the great thing about the internet, as you know, blog talk radio, but also that." We can get we we receive manuscripts throughout the world. We receive uh-huh. manuscripts from Australia, New Zealand, England, Canada, besides the United States, Nigeria. I got some more in from Nigeria also. A very strong Catholic population in Nigeria. So um, we're very excited, very very excited. Excellent. Well, I wanted to start off um, talking about regards to our show. Um, our theme picture for tonight, I don't know if you happen to see the, the show page, but there's a picture of Dante Alighieri on there, who's obviously, he's famous for his work, The Divine Comedy. And um, I wanted to ask you, uh, do you think Dante's work qualifies as fiction? Well, I don't know if it qualifies, I don't know, we would qualify it as poetry, I think, as, as you know. Technically, it's right. a poem, believe it or not. <laughs> would it qualify right. as fiction? Uh, yes, I think so. Uh, in, in a lot of sense, it's fiction, but it's it's uh, it's more than that. It's very theological. Um, it's um, it's uh, exploratory of the of heaven and hell and in between, and uh, it is really the classic work of of um, writing that everything's. It, it just everything's interconnected in there. So, is it fiction? Yes, technically it's fiction, but uh, um, I wouldn't call it a novel. Let's put it that way. No, no. Well, I mean, I guess that is a question, though. You know, what is fiction? Is it? Is it? Does it have to be a story that's in the form of prose, or you know, do you see what I'm saying? Like plays, right. poetry, they can all deal with um, fictionalized narratives. Uh, but it seems like in the past, like the novel has gotten a pretty severely bad rap from from Catholics and and from Catholic saints. Um, but I mean, to me, it's just well, you know, would would there be the same problem with with poetry like Dante's Dante's poem? That is obviously it's a story, it's a narrative that isn't necessarily true. He imagined it. 
So do you think, you know, what what is fiction in that? Well, um, I don't know if I'm answering it properly, but so fiction obviously is just made up, okay? It's a story being told, okay? The question is, is it Catholic fiction or is it literary fiction? Uh, I think there are other questions in there. And if we go back historically to time where people have criticized fiction, well, basically they've criticized fiction because it didn't have any meaning or it didn't point the way to a moral truth or to God. Um, so there's always been a tension historically. Even Flannery O'Connor talks about this, and that uh, there's a tension between Catholic in the Catholic world between fiction and nonfiction. And uh, the question is, could we trust reading fiction or not? And I have a more uh, you know expanded view of that. I think stories that are told well that point to a moral truth, a Catholic moral truth and point to sustaining values is, is fiction worth reading. Uh, we we can't all, sometimes our brains, I think, just need a, a break from taking in information, okay, from, um, you know, nonfiction to, and, you know, it's very important we read about the saints, it's very important we read scripture, it's very important we know our faith, but it's also sometimes we just want to relax and, 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 what I would say, fall into a story and a novel. So, like, poetry. the purpose, the purpose uh, like you were saying, it has to point, that you would say that's the purpose of fiction is is it has to, first of all, be enjoyable, mm-hmm. and it has to um, enlighten the reader somehow. It has to bring them to, like you said, a moral truth. Right, right. So we, we uh, on my website, and I don't want to like, point everyone to the Tuscany website because, you know, I appreciate the, the, uh, the what you're doing here, but... We defined what is Catholic fiction, uh, and we put that up. It was recently we developed. Uh, we've been thinking about it for a long time, and we defined what what is Catholic fiction. And uh, if you got a few minutes, well, we can explore that topic if you like, or we can move on. But one of the things we talk about is like fiction itself, for a novel to be published, it has to be well written, meaning grammatically well written, sentence structure and everything. That has to be a good story, and I really rely on a, a non-Catholic who is John Gardner, who's considered one of the great writing teachers. Um, and he talks about how there's a structure and form to fiction. He calls it. He wrote a book called The Art of Fiction, mm-hmm. and and then he also wrote a book called A Moral Fiction. Those two books really define what we would call historically what novels were meant to be. You know, there's a structure, there's a form, and Gardner comes out and he and he speaks about how fiction should point to sustaining values. Okay, and then we go further and say, what should Catholic fiction be? So not only should it be good and it should not only should it be a good story and well written. You know, oh, the third component, by the way, of regular of fiction, I would say, is that it has to capture the imagination of the reader. You have to bring them into the story. Mm-hmm. But on Catholic Absolutely. fiction. We, yeah, right. so the three main points of fiction is it's well-written, it's a good story, and it captures the imagination of the reader. We use that as a basis at Tuscany Press, and we use, and there's a, um, that's the first basis. But the second part is Catholic fiction. So not only is those three issues, those three fundamentals, it is the Catholic imagination that points that is brought into the story 
which is what I call the Catholic essence, that's brought into the story to show that we do live in this world where there's a present God. Uh, uh-huh. There's been a lot of talk about the Catholic imagination, so we could define it you know, probably not well here tonight in a short amount of time, but we bring in all our sacramentals, all our, our sacraments themselves, the Mass, uh, our saints, all these we can bring into a story to help point us towards God, okay? And we can bring them in concretely or through analogy. So, I, I guess you were making me think that, you know, Flannery O'Connor, she, she's, from what I've read, there's very few times that she overtly did anything that would point to her being a Catholic. But I guess in her symbolism, like you said, you know, whether it's by analogy or whether it's by an overt use of Catholic things, then it would be applicable. Right. applicable. right. And Graham Greene, is the, his five Catholic novels, there's a lot of symbolism in there. Uh, about uh, there's a lot of Catholic symbolism. Uh, one of the, you know we think in uh, one of the best um, uh, shall we say Catholic novels of all times or Catholic works of fish, fiction is the Power and the Glory, the Whiskey Priest. Yes. So we would say that as we move further, as we define Catholic fiction, okay, it's about the Catholic imagination coming into fiction. That could be. Symbolically, like in the Lord of the Rings, uh-huh. or overtly, as in the Power of the Glory, or right. as in Flannery O'Connor does it really subtly, but Very symbolically. Subtly. And then we say it has to deal with a Catholic moral theme. That Catholic moral theme can be from anything from like sacrificial love or. Um, uh, I'll take your pick. There's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of moral themes, you know, whatever, a Catholic moral theme. And then the third part is, and this is where the protagonist at the end of the story, as it, not, but throughout the story, but at the end of the story has moved closer to God or to a better and deeper understanding of a Catholic moral truth. So, if I can state it again, we have three fundamentals of fiction, well-written, good story, captures the imagination. But we also have a deeper part where in Catholic fiction we say we say that the, the Catholic imagination is brought into the story to show the presence of God, or symbolically. And then we have a Catholic moral theme, and then we have a protagonist that moves closer to either a better understanding of a moral theme or a um, uh, moves closer to God. Right. Um, would you say that there is a, a if we, if we compared Chaucer, for example, um, mm-hmm. as opposed to our, any, any one of the modern, more modern Catholic fiction writers, do you think there's a difference in how we perceive what fiction is from between then and now? Well, it's, it's, I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, one, we could say that basically most of the fiction prior to, let's say, around the middle of the century was, we could consider it Catholic to some degree, okay? You know, Chaucer is a very Catholic novel. People don't think it is, but if you read about Chaucer and you really look at the message of Chaucer, he was calling people 
to be more virtuous. Right. Where people may read it, oh, well, there's this corruption and all that. But no, actually, he was saying we, we're better than this. We, we, we need to be better than this. So it was and like he was like highlighting or drawing attention to this seamy <laughs> side of society in a humorous or, way. Or even within the church, too. You yeah. Know, um, and, and which was, you know, when I when people say, I mean, Chaucer really is, it's, it's you could really say it's a Catholic novel to a large extent because it's calling people to be more virtuous. Now, it's how people read and understand Chaucer and what lens they look at it. Well, even even if, though, I think of, like we were mentioning, Graham Greene, if I compare him to, you know, say, even if I compare him to, I don't know, I'm not boned up on my, my Catholic authors from the uh, 19th century, but... Um, <laughs> To, to, to writing, to Catholic writing from the nineteenth from the nineteenth century, um, it seems to me there's a very big difference in how how novels are written. Um, do you, do you have any opinions on what you think would have precipitated that change in how in the structure um, that the, the well, I think novels have changed over time, but it really has changed in the last thirty years, and this is where I kind of draw the line where novels were kind of a Protestant kind of view, uh, where not just in the in the in the 20th century, but there was some Catholic fiction that came out, and you know we mentioned a few of them: um, mm-hmm. Walker Percy, Flannery O'Connor, uh, Graham Greene novels, and there were others too. But those right. are the most famous and successful. But I would say, and I've done a lot of research on this, and because we were looking at what makes a great novel. And what happened, I believe, in the last 30 years is that novels stopped uh, talking about moral truths. Now, John Gardner wrote this great book called On Moral Fiction. And he really takes to, he really goes after John Updike. And he says that your fiction means nothing. Oh, excellent. He's that strong? Oh, yes. He's that strong. He basically says fiction should be moral. Moral in the sense it points to sustaining values. Okay? It should be rooted in love. These are direct quotes out of that book. And he basically says what's being produced today, and that's the 1980s, okay, is, he doesn't say it's, quote, junk in the book, but he really, if you saw him, there's some YouTube interviews of him. And um, he really, it was a very controversial book at the time. Because he said fiction was changing and it wasn't talking about the great ideas. Now, just having a conversation yesterday with some pretty famous writer who called me up, Catholic writer, and he's pretty famous, and um, he he and I were talking about this, and he he said, really, there's this change that went from fiction being produced out of the publishing houses was not about anything, the grand, big ideas. Mm -hmm. They don't talk about that anymore. It's, It's kind of, it's, Entertain. I call it entertainment fiction, and I'm, you know, I've been encouraged to. I think I'll write some columns on this and try to you know, stir up a little <laughs> conversation. But uh, a little controversy. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I think you you might have seen in New York Times Sunday Review book review section on uh, Paul Ellie came out with a big thing. Where's faith in fiction? And that was a big article on the front page of the Sunday New York Times book review section. Uh, 
December 23rd, right before Christmas. And, um, but to get back to the idea is that, you know, fiction kind of went down this entertainment path, I call it, where books became works of entertainment and they really didn't mean anything. And they became more kind of like movie television based. Um, and so, they so skipping ahead in my show plan, but but it is something I wanted to I wanted to to ask you about is the entertainment part of it. Since since society has basically been steeped for the last thirty years, as you mentioned, in this uh, reading novels purely as a form of entertainment, almost, and and basically anything that you know makes them too uncomfortable, they're more likely to reject it. Do you think that? Catholic writers are going to have any real success at turning the ball around without including at least a, a large part of it being, you know, sensationalized entertainment. Well, in, in their work, I I would say that um, you have to capture the imagination of the reader. Okay, and that's the difference between sensationalized or what the you know, same with Shock the Bourgeois, you know, like really kind of gross graphic stuff that was, you know, people would read to kind of um, get, you know, excited about or or something like that. I think Catholic writers have to stick to their beliefs and they have to say, I can write an entertaining book or a book that captures the imagination that really has some moral values to it or or, or points to some sustaining values. For example, and I'm going to give you an example. And I'll plug Tuscany Press, and I don't mean to do this too much. But <laughs> I, I, I'll have to take the opportunity. We have a book coming out within the next few weeks called The Cana Mystery. It's about finding the jars of Cana, you know, Jesus' first public miracle. Right. He goes to the wedding at Cana, and he performs a miracle. and turns water into wine, and they're in six jugs. So this story is about a, a uh, about finding them and it's a big adventure story it's 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 an exciting great read and it's you know 350 pages where you're just turning the page 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 after page wow but it's an and and it's an exciting read and it's it's purely catholic in a lot of ways but it's not didactic or anything it's really about a young woman a young man and then it's about how they become uh, intertwined in this mystery and adventure, and all things would happen in mystery and adventure. Some people get, you know, killed in a gunfight or whatever you want to call them. There's bad guys and good guys, but it's still about in the end. It's about understanding our history and but on them understanding themselves and realizing, you know, what's important. So I, it's funny, a great I think, story. You know, you were mentioning about. Um, universal truth or how people have to come to some sort of a sustaining a sustaining value and it seems like in in the best of writing regardless of whether or not it is specifically catholic there's always that um they the biggest truth they learn are about themselves right and this is where fiction lost its way i think in the last 30 years i may have done that before then there's always those dime store mystery detective novels, but if we were talking about serious fiction, serious fiction lost its way, uh, I think, to um, a certain extent, and, and fiction in general lost its way, because it's not about, I was, re, you know, I go back to the idea when we're at my parish book club, and I, I'm reading this, trying to find fiction that I could read and enjoy, 
and I couldn't find anything. It's all kind of despairing and chaotic and kind of nihilistic and mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, you know, some of it was entertaining, you know, uh, to a certain extent, but it, it, I wanted something more. I wanted some, you know, meat on the bone, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that fiction wasn't, I couldn't find. Right. Well, do you think that, it seems to me like these these books that are like that, where they just don't have a whole lot of raise you up value, so to speak, to those those transcendental truth, goodness, and beauty, and, and God, essentially. Um, do you think fiction like that has to be character driven rather than plot driven in order to succeed? Well, there, there, I think you need both. Okay, now Flannery O'Connor states, you know, you should know your characters well. You don't know how the whole story is, but you should create your characters, and your characters will lead you through the story. But there's also a fact: there's plots, and you have to take your plot and 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 make it interesting, okay, for the reader who wants to come back and doesn't want to either one doesn't want to put the book down, or two, the plot is is moving along where, um, you know, there's some twists and and some nuances to it where it keeps the interest of the reader. So it's not an either or. I think it's a both. To tell you mm-hmm. and and, yeah. and and if you don't do that, then I think the book becomes uninteresting. Like a, one of my quotes from one of the stories, I always say this quote: is, "There's a lot of well-written bus schedules." So if it's very predictable, we don't want to read it. <laughs> right, you know? right, yeah. If it's predictable, we don't want to read it. And two, if we read a book similar to this before, we don't want to read it either. Right. So a writer has to find his or her voice. And what they want to write about and write well. Huh. Well, going back to the historical the historical aspect of it that we were sure. we were talking about. Um, so up until like the 19th century, it seems to me that fiction literature was not very common, or perhaps there's just not very many manuscripts that have been saved. I know you mentioned like, well, there's always been these dime store type of detective mysteries, which which seem to me would be more uh, plot driven then they would be character-driven. You're not going to get any real deep insights into the character, you know, learning about himself or something like that. Right. Um, St. Teresa of Avila, so this would be, you know, 15, 1500s, um, she, mentions, she mentions in her autobiography that her mother was reading uh, romances and she would leave them around where her daughters could read them and it was to their detriment that she did so. Um, but I, I just found that so interesting because there's no, at least that I'm aware of, there's no recording main manuscripts of, you know, their version of the Dime Store novel. So right. it's, it's an interesting question of what, you know, these wouldn't have been like the Song of Roland, do you think, or, you know? Well, I, I would think there would be kind of this, um, uh, my, you know, I, I read her biography, so first of all, congratulations for reading it because everyone, every Catholic should read her biography, her autobiography. And, and her I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, so uh, I, I congratulate you on that, and uh, it's really it's uh, it's a terrific. I'm a, um, a practicer of Carmelite spirituality, so uh, and uh, a huge fan of Carmelite spirituality. So, but to get back to your question about there, there's been other what I would say uh, night like tales, like night as in K N I G H D, you know, the the, mm-hmm. the knight saving the queen or saving the princess or something like that. There are those tales, and that's what I think she's referring to. The romance. Uh, the romance and the romance. Um, but one right. of the books I've read and I recommend people read if they want to really know about the 
history of the Catholic novel, not the novel, but the Catholic novel, is uh, Marion Crow's um, aiming aiming for ha- aiming at heaven, getting the earth, and I quote that in well, on my website, and that basically she talks about the Catholic novel, and in fact, by the way, on a side note, you know, uh, Pope Francis in his first homily quotes from Leon Bois, who's one of the great French Catholic novelist. Uh, Leon first who? homily. What is, what is his name? Leon. Leon B-L-O-Y. 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 I don't think I've heard of him. Oh, no. He wrote The Poor Woman. He's an, he's an unbelievable uh, writer, French writer, Catholic writer. Leon. And he wrote these Catholic novels. One of them I'm thinking of bringing back as a translation is called The Poor Woman. And uh, it's it, uh, so he quotes you, from him. Did Did you read it in the, the Poor Woman in the original French? Then, if you're doing a translation, no, I did not. I, I did not. I have my my French is okay, but not that good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know if it would hang together trying to read that through Google Translate. So maybe maybe it'd be an excellent idea if you did bring back a translation of it. I'm very. That's an interesting. I've never heard of him before. Oh, oh no! He's one of the famous. It, uh, as you may or may not know, we I, I purchased CatholicFiction.net. I don't know. If, I think you may yeah. or may know know that. Yeah. So on on CatholicFiction.net, we I consulted two professors. I don't want to get off track too much, but in there we go. Uh, we show what we consider the top twenty Catholic novels of all time, and Leon Bois is in there. I think twice. Oh wow. So and we're now we're going we're building up that site um, uh, called CatholicFiction.net. We're putting a classic book review on Wednesday, contemporary on Sundays, and author interviews on Fridays. And then we're planning to add more information. So we're trying to give people knowledge of what the Catholic novel is and the Catholic fiction is. You, well, to go back to what you were saying, though, you mentioned uh, the quote from Leon Blois. What did what did what was the quote that that what did Leon Blois? Yeah, I think he quoted one of his said. essays, but it wasn't a novel. But it, uh, I, I don't have it off the top of my head, so I don't want to misquote it. Uh, oh right, right. And he was what? What? When did he? I knew you mentioned the time period. The nineteenth century France. Nineteenth century France. Okay. And in Marion Crow's book, Amen in Heaven, Getting the Earth, it's the history of the English Catholic novel. But in the beginning, she talks about the history of the Catholic novel. She goes back, and really, you could say uh, there's France and there's England, and it comes back from the uh, what I would say the 19th century. Right. Well, I'm going to interrupt you here. We're going to we're about midway through our show tonight. I want to take a moment to do a station identification to welcome our listeners. Uh, you're listening to The Beautiful Things, a radio show discussing Catholic perspectives on the arts. I'm your host, Magdalene Zapp, and I'm joined tonight by Mr. Peter Mongeau, founder and publisher of Tuscany Press. We aren't taking calls tonight, but as always, you can contact us via Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at True Restoration. We also have a Facebook page uh, called Restoration Radio. If you're using iTunes to listen to this broadcast, we encourage you to show your support by giving us a rating on iTunes. Um, so, uh, to going, but I wanted to go back and, and speak about. Um, I don't think we mentioned it. We did talk about more or less the Thomistic understanding of um, fiction as art a little bit. That it has to mm-hmm. uh, raise us to a greater understanding of the transcendentals. Um, but 
if we grant that that Thomistic understanding of art, um, I would think just as much as, say, sculpture or painting, uh, like the writing of fiction has the ability to be uh, considered an art form rather than just, I think most people at this stage in the game, they, they you know, they consider it more or less entertainment. And, and I think a lot of Catholics are to the point where they just outright condemn it and it seems like they're backed up you know, by, by saints from, from before. Um, uh, St. Aloysius and St. Augustine come to mind, uh, rather rather big ones to be condemning uh, right. uh, novels. So, uh, But as art forms, you know, where do you think fiction fits in? Well, fiction is art, you know, and I quote a lot from John Gardner, who happened to be Protestant in, in, in the Father of the Great Books tradition, and good fiction is art. And I and I say at the end of my article, what is Catholic fiction? I say Catholic fiction is a work of art and beauty, and a gift to the world. And I truly mean that. It has to point to these moral truths, and it has to point to God. And you have to have a protagonist that moves closer to God. Fiction, what we say is, you know, we all we also I say this: good Catholic fiction. It may not offer pat answers or solutions. And not everything is tightly repaired at the end, but it does offer the way and path to solutions and hope for readers. I think it leads to a better understanding of themselves and the world around them. So that essentially, though, it, it, it has to be entertaining in, in, in the sense that like art is beautiful. Um, we have to be able to enjoy it. It has to be a sensate experience, right? But on I the other hand... I would separate- Right, sorry. Oh, on the other hand, we can't we can't rely the the novel the Catholic novel can't rely upon that for its 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 meat, so to speak. Right, I would say that it captures the imagination versus entertainment. There's a difference, and I think that a novel has to capture the imagination of the reader, but an art form leads you to higher truths. And I'll give you quite a, I'll do the example from the art world. I have a, uh, a acquaintance of mine who, who paints in, in New York City. Hmm. And he said to me, I said, how come no one, I asked him a question one day, I said, how come no one paints like they used to in the Renaissance? Like, you know, Da Vinci or Bernini or any, anyone who was, you know, the great artists of the day. And he said, in art school today, they show you the great artwork and they tell you what's great, but then they then you ask, well, teach me how to paint that way, and say, no, 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 you got to go over here and do drips and drabs and sticks and circles. I call them. It's probably not as bad as that. I shouldn't put it that way, but they don't teach how to paint like they used to paint in the Renaissance. So he started his own school how to teach his classical painting, and what I'm saying wow. is impressive. Well, yeah, and he's. His, his paintings are beautiful. And I'm saying oh, I would think press, is that we're doing the same thing with the novel. We're saying one of the things we didn't realize we had to do in Tuscany Press is define what is Catholic fiction and then secondly tell people how to write good quality fiction. Or basically show them, not tell them. And one of the things we have is suggested reading for writers of Catholic fiction. And we have so basically nine I'm sorry. So <laughs> let me, let me interject with this the, question real quick. 
um, you're you're having to re-educate the populace, not only That's the readership but also the writers. Yes, the several things we've had to do which we didn't think we would need to do. One is we had to define what Catholic fiction is, and two, we had to tell people how to write quality fiction or show them, and that has been a shock to us and to a certain extent because I, we we. I don't want to be too harsh on the English departments at all colleges and high schools, but, um, you know, teaching grammar and rhetoric and, you know, sentence structure, sentence variety, paragraph structure, chaptering, the usage of breaks, all those things, we we recommend where people have to go to find that, find how to do that. And then we, we point to John Gardner because he wrote a book called The Art of Fiction, Notes on the Craft for Young Writers. And it's the best book on writing ever written. He was a great writer. He was a great teacher, and he taught up at the Breadloaf Series up in Vermont at a Middlebury College. Mm-hmm. And so I've shown this book to lots of writers, and they can't believe that this book exists. Because really, it, it answers all their instincts of what they think great writing should be. And if you're going to be a writer today, you have to read The Art of Fiction by John Gardner, well, not just say today, if you want to read, write literary fiction or good fiction. And then we go on, there's several other books we have on moral fiction by Gardner. We have Tolkien's on fairy tales. We have Solzhenitsyn's 1970s speech at the Nobel Prize. Uh-huh. Um, we have Marion Crow's book, Aiming at, at Heaven and Getting the Earth. Oh, and of course we have Flannery O'Connor's Mystery and Manners. So, and then we give the inspiration of Tuscan Press, which is John Paul II's Letter to Otters. So if you want to just do three of those, you do John Paul II's Letter to the Artists, you do Gardner's Art of Fiction, and you do Mystery and Manners. Those are the three you should concentrate on at first. But I would recommend reading all that, that we have on our site. Well, it's, it's and we don't get any money for those. We're not, pul- we're not publishing those or anything. We well, I think it's, go at, this point, at this point, it's in your best interest as a... <laughs> As a publisher trying to gain traction to <laughs> to be putting those up, almost, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, um, and we've had tremendous response. Yeah, I would I would think so. But I wanted to let me go back and and um, sure. when we were when I think of the history of fiction, I typically think of it starting or not fiction, but well, I, said, I guess I could say fiction as I know it today, or like the novel. I think of it as starting mm-hmm. in in our more recent history. But actually, just if we think of fiction purely as a story, that isn't true. It's just a story, a narrative, um, told in order to get the reader to realize a principle or the audience to realize a principle. Um, we could say that, obviously, fiction began whenever storytelling began. And that brought me to a couple of different thoughts. Um, obviously, our Lord was the best storyteller in the creation of the world. Um, right. And and he went so far as to explain why it was that he used parables rather than just telling people the principles. You know, this is especially with with the Jews that that was how they learned is through storytelling. Um, that would be a huge argument in favor of Catholic fiction, wouldn't it? This idea that you can actually get it's possible you might have a stronger message or, or a more impact through the use of Catholic fiction than you would if somebody sat down and read you know, a book of principles. Right. And and I think this goes back to 
I think you're right, and and uh, I, I'm sure you're familiar with Father Barron, okay, uh, on a word on fire. Um, he talks about evangelization, and part of our what we think is that, and Bar- Father Barron says this in one of his video clips, I forget which one, is that he talks about the most effective way to evangelize is to start with beauty, which leads to goodness, which leads to truth, which is God. The art of fiction, or a good fiction novel, a good Catholic fiction, will lead people to the faith. And I remember reading recently, or within the last couple of years, about someone who went to Flannery O'Connor's, her, her home, and the the person who went to visit there said, I'm a Catholic today because of Flannery O'Connor. <laughs> She's a Catholic today. Yeah. Oh, I get it. <laughs> the the person who went to Flannery O'Connor to visit this home recently converted to Catholicism because of Flannery O'Connor. Wow, that's impressive. And there is another book out there in uh, Matthew. Um, oh, I forget the name. I do apologize to your listeners. Um, Scaplos and something else. Um, but he talks about how he came into the Catholic Church through Walker Percy, Graham Greene, and Flannery O'Connor. Yeah. And I think there's potential there, but there are many ways into the Catholic Church. And novels, Catholic fiction can lead people there. Yeah, and, certainly. And that's what I'm hoping. They have, a, they have the ability to you know, change people, to think about them, think about things perhaps differently than and, they would have thought about them otherwise. They might not be open to... Deepen one's faith, too, for for Catholics. Yeah. That's what we're hoping to do. We're hoping to deepen the faith of Catholics to help them better understand, uh, you know, uh, the world around them, and and, and this through through a Catholic fiction. And then we're also helping to do... um, Who knows where we'll lead. Yeah. Well, and she... You know, even even like uh, who's the um, the editor at um, Saint Benedict Press, who's putting out the the classic. He's putting out a series of classics. Uh, I think his name's Pierce, Matthew Pierce. Is that the one uh, you were thinking of? Well, anyway, he he ended up converting off of reading Chesterton. I doubt. It oh, was that's Matthew. Joseph Pierce. I, yes. In fact, I Joseph. met with Joseph Pierce a couple of weeks ago. Joseph Pierce. These are the critical editions out of Ignatius Press. That, and, thank uh, you. That's what I was thinking of. Um, right, and he, uh, yes, yes. In fact, we we met and uh, we we talked and uh, a little bit, and uh, yeah, he, he's a he's a he's a very good man. Yes. So it was the power of the power of Catholic writing that did it for him. No, right. I think sometimes perhaps you know people who might Catholics who might have the temptation to write are are stymied. They think that you know what's the point, but. But that should be a, a heads up, I think, for for anyone who who's doubting their potential. Right, right, and and I, I will say that in the, several of my writers have told me that they so happy to find Tuscany Press because they have an outlet for their writings. Mm-hmm. And we need Tuscany Press, and, and I would love to develop a, such a big market that we have other Catholic fiction presses out there, and that it becomes successful. Uh, to the point where we can have many. So, because uh, uh, I think the Catholic imagination 
is is beautiful, and that yeah. Catholic imagination can infuse stories and 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 touch people's lives. Right. Well, I wanted to. Um Ask. We don't have much time left. There's a couple of questions I did want to get to. Um, sure. Now, like we were talking about, um, you know, the idea of capturing the imagination versus just entertaining or or doing it versus uh, sensationalizing. And we have to grant, don't we, that that to a certain extent we have to tailor any writers and publishers have to ensure that their books are going to get sold, which means they have to, to a certain extent, tailor them. To the reading public, um, do 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 Catholic writers run the risk of cutting themselves short by falling in with this idea that in order to be successful out in the open market, we have to tailor our writing um, and make it make it as sensational um, as possible without going over the line, without making it. You, do you understand what I'm saying? Right, right. And and people, I've been asked that question a lot, and I. And, and this may not be a, the answer you want or are expecting them. If we mean entertainment by, shall we say, sex and violence, let's put it that way. Um, I don't think that's true. I mean, there is a market that's out there and it's been proven to be successful with all those types of books. And we don't want to you know, go into that too much tonight. But I, I would say is that you should have to be true to your own voice. Um, and you have to write... Who, who you are, and if Catholicism is part of who you are, then you 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 put that in there. And if the symbolism, or you want to bring in your Catholic imagination, then you should do that. And I don't think you will uh, lose the reader per se. And I don't think you need to get so crude or graphic that mm-hmm. um, in order quote it to sell. I I, I would discourage that. I would mm-hmm. say to the writers out there, be true to your voice, okay? Your moral um, voice, specifically. Your own moral <laughs> voice and your literary voice, you know, yeah. moral literary voice. Um, don't try to be somebody you're not. Um, but I would say this, though. You're not writing for yourself. You're writing for the reader. So you mm-hmm. do have to capture their imagination. One of the classic mistakes of writers is that they write for themselves, kind of this therapeutic writing, and which is fine, okay? But if you want to write a Catholic fiction and you want to write a novel or a short story or a novella, you really do have to capture the imagination of the reader. The classic example is the Book of Jotham, which you read. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't think that book captured your imagination from the second, from the first to second page. It's unbelievable. It really is a gift, and that's true great Catholic fiction right there. I think the Book of Jotham is going to be a classic once we get uh, the word out more and more. Well, I know that uh, speaking of um, people that are hailed as, as great Catholic writers, I know Flannery O'Connor um, is obviously hailed as a, as a great Catholic writer, um, yet uh, it seems like we see very little in her work that is expressly of Catholic sentiment. It could be argued, um, and has been, that her work is really no more than Christian fiction at best, and that it's objectionable on the grounds of it being extremely dark, sometimes graphic right. subject matter, and, um, and she 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 goes to town with the the blood and gore. Um, she did, assuming that she did. assuming that you agree, she's an exemplary Catholic writer. What would you say in her defense? 
Well, in her defense, if you read it, you see the symbolism in there. But the natural instinct for most readers is they want to sympathize with the character, and sometimes you can't sympathize with any of her characters. They make that you is uncomfortable. true. That is okay. <laughs> so does and the plot. I think the that's and... the problem with Flannery O'Connor. You just can't sympathize with any of these characters. Mm-hmm. So she may not be your taste or my taste. I'm more on the Graham Greene side, to tell you the truth, even though I enjoy Flannery a lot. Mm-hmm. I think Flannery O'Connor's Mystery Management, which is about Catholic writing and the writer and all that, that's a great book to read. I read a lot of Flannery O'Connor. I enjoy Flannery O'Connor. I think one of the reasons why she was successful in her time, because it didn't seem to be overtly Catholic, her writings, but you could right. see it in there. Right. But it's hard to sympathize with a lot of the writings. And it, it was truly at that time, I think the Southern culture um, didn't have many voices. I mean, a lot of the Southern presses were started around that time because they felt the Southern writings were being ignored. And, mm-hmm. you know, Flannery O'Connor really talked about it, an era or a place that Northerners weren't really familiar with, or the New York publishing houses. In a very graphic way. Yes, in a very graphic way. It gripped you, <laughs> or made yeah. you uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, I think it made, probably makes a lot of readers uncomfortable. You know what was yeah. what was going through this woman's mind. They'd probably be shocked right. if they knew her life. <laughs> true, true. And she read Thomas Aquinas for twenty minutes a night. I think it was fifteen minutes a night every night. She read Thomas Aquinas. So. And she had a she had a disease, and she was she she couldn't leave the house. So everything that yeah. she picked up was just from watching out her window. Right, amazing. Right, yeah, but amazing. Let me get some more questions here before we got to sign off. Um, do you think there oh, sure, are um, are there limitations to what Catholic writers can write about? No, I don't think so. I don't think there's any limitations. We should write about the world we live in, and the world we live in is full of stuff, full of lots of stuff. Lots of stuff can be good and it can be evil. There's lots and of evil stuff. There, there is lots of evil stuff. But do we want to be graphic? And my, one of the questions I have is probably getting there's no limits to Catholic writing, okay? But there is um, a question of graphicness, I think I would call it. Um, and is it necessary? Is, are, we be, are we going down a path where it's not literature anymore? Mm-hmm. It's more of entertainment. So mm-hmm. that judges on the context, the time, place, and what is going on. But I would, uh, that is, should not um, hold anyone back from writing about anything. They should be able to write about anything. In Especially fact, so long as it's in good taste. That's all we have. Right. <laughs> right. Well, in good taste, and but I would say, and this is what Flannery O'Connor explains, and I agree with this, is like a Catholic writer lives in a larger universe than a secular writer. We live in a universe that includes God in the supernatural. And that's the difference. The secular writer writes in a narrow world, kind of a nihilistic, kind of a hopeless, you know, despairing world. But the Catholic writer writes in a larger universe. Which frees them up to do more with the... More, if you, if you at least recognize, you know, human nature and how human nature works, you're going to be at a huge advantage uh, in writing uh, books that are that are com- more com- uh, compelling. Um, Correct. Right. Well, there's a plethora of genres within fiction. 
but there aren't mm-hmm. very many Catholic writers that have written in the genre of science fiction. Um, Canticle of Leibowitz comes to mind, which uh, Swords and Space uh, Radio um, uh, did a little, did a little uh, radio show on. Um, I still have to, to read the read the book, but it's apparently it's it's a Catholic Catholic science fiction. Um, and there's a couple more books uh, that were put out by Tumblr House. Um, Interlander comes to mind. But even as regards like Christian Christian quote unquote writers, Orson Scott Card, he's one of the only science fiction writers that I know of. So I'm sure there are others, but that I know of who states that his books are informed by by his Mormon faith. Obviously. Um, right. So he's Mormon, but he's a, he's coming out and saying that yes, this is based off of um, what they would call Judeo-Christian ideals. Um, right. But um, so, why do you think it is that there's been this general eschewing of this genre, not only by Catholic writers but but by by Christian writers as well? As well, it seems almost like you know, basically, atheists and agnostics have more or less taken over the science fiction genre and other than and not to say fantasy because Tolkien obviously, you know, really took the ball with that one. Um but why why do you think that is? I, I I'm not so sure because 'cause I'm not as familiar with science fiction as I probably should be. But I will say this about science fiction is that it's a great genre, you know, from Ray Bradbury all the way, you know, the the greatest probably science fiction writer of all time. Um, uh, but we can go back uh, into in time where there's lots of uh, you know science fiction that was really terrific, and some are considered classics to this day. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't. It's not you know science fiction and Catholicism um, can go well together. I think, and and I think you can show a lot of whether we use Tolkien and fantasy, and then we use science fiction. If there is symbolism that can be used, the Catholic imagination can be drawn in. In fact, we came close to picking up a science fiction novel last year. We were so close; it was um, quite interesting. Uh, and but in the end, it didn't quite work for us. But I would encourage science fiction writers to write and to write with their Catholic faith. Yeah, it's interesting though because I remember when I was in college, there was uh, one of our classes. Uh, someone made the argument that the problem with having science fiction, and even, even you could say, like, with Tolkien's writing, like, yes, there was a lot of Catholic symbolism in Tolkien's writing, which is really what made it, you know, this idea that human nature hasn't changed, and even within his fantasy world that he created, human nature was still human nature. Um, but this idea that, you know, you've you created an alternate reality that is entirely fantastic and impossible. So... Um, like in that sense, it actually works against what Catholic fiction should be trying to do. I I I don't see that at all. I would argue the point that if the science fiction points to sustaining the points to a Catholic moral truth, has a protagonist which we all are broken individuals that has a better understanding of these moral truths or moves closer to God. Why science fiction can accomplish that, and and very easily. I think it might be easy to write in the Catholic imagination in science fiction, to tell you the truth. Because you can extent. create the world. Right, you can create the world. You can create the mass in the future, in the book. <laughs> um, well, symbolically, of, you know. <laughs> yeah. 
Can I ask your opinion on on the Father Andrew Reedy's books? Okay. I, I I can honestly say I don't think I've ever read one, but I know they're hugely popular. Uh, I'm sorry, I missed it. Andrew Greeley? Yeah, Father Andrew Greeley's books. Um, I I think I read a few of them like 20 years ago or something like that. I thought they were kind of pulp fiction, to tell you the truth. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I don't. I I can't give an honest opinion today, like what they are, but they're extremely popular. I think they're um, titillating, uh, and um, he has a certain, you know, obsession with certain things. But uh, I, I don't. I I don't. Uh, I, I. They are what they are. It doesn't sound like you recommend them. No. Uh, no, they're That's not my protocol. style. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I might be I might be stepping on toes. So so you know if you want to dodge that question, I completely understand. <laughs> no no, I um, just think that I I I haven't read them in twenty years, and and I don't know if there's any moral tr- they're pointing to any moral truth or anything. Uh, I think one book that I read is just kind of saying that people within the church are fallible. Um, you know, that seemed to be the message, and I think that's probably you know we're all fallible. And, you know so. Yeah. I just kind of leave it like that. <laughs> right. Well, I think we're about close to wrapping up. Um, let me uh, go ahead and uh, bring this show to a close. Um, you've been listening to the second episode of The Beautiful Things. It's brought to you by Restoration Radio, the radio arm of True Restoration Press. Next week, Restoration Radio will be broadcasting with Bishop Dolan. Um, not next week, excuse me, this Saturday at 9.30 in the morning, Central Time. Um, uh, Stephen Heiner and Bishop Dolan will be discussing the devotional use and history of the scapular. Our guest tonight has been Peter Mangeau, founder and publisher of Buscany Press, a Catholic publishing company which hosts a yearly fiction prize in the categories of novel, novella, and short story. Tuscany Press can be found on the web at www.tuscanypress.com. I'm your host, Magdalene Zapp. Uh, I'll leave you all with Palestrina's Omanium Mysterium. And um, Mr. Mongeau, thank you for joining us tonight. Well, thank you, and thank you to all your listeners. I appreciate the time, and and uh, may God be with everyone. Thank you. Um, this, this this piece of music is actually it's called The Great Mystery, and I thought maybe, you know, as all good art, it ultimately brings us to a deeper contemplation of the divine. So... Good night to all of our listeners, and uh, we're we'll be here. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch.
See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.